Okay, we've been doing a series on the armor of God, and the purpose of the, of the series has been to equip new believers and veterans alike with the knowledge that we are in a spiritual battle and that God wants us to take a stand for Him. That's why Scripture just keeps saying, stand, stand, stand. And we've been talking about spiritual warfare and the Canadian conspiracy to take over our country and uh, little black helicopters that follow us around, and we've been throwing darts at foam heads. If you missed that last week at 10 o'clock, I actually missed the head and just about took out somebody in the front row, and that was scary and also funny at the same time, okay? We've been linking our shields together with believers on the other side of the world, offering them spiritual protection through prayer. And we prayed for Pastor David from Pakistan last week because he was shot for doing what I do every single week. And uh, not a lot of news from, from that side of the world. We know that David is in a hospital, he's being treated, and we just continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Pakistan. Okay, and all of this has stemmed from some verses in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read them again because they're just good verses. The Bible says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. That's how far we've gotten so far. And if you've missed any parts of the armor, you can go back, ctkbellingham.com, watch the message stuff, just click on media and you can catch up. But let me, let, let me just recap very quickly, okay? Started with the belt of truth. Truth holds us all together. It grounds us. It gives us freedom and it keeps us from getting tripped up in our own understanding. That's why truth is so important. Secondly, we talked about a breastplate of righteousness. This is what protects our core with right living and allows us to make the conscious decision to resist the devil and and, and be obedient to what God has asked us to do. Thirdly, we talked about sandals of readiness, okay? Not talking flip-flops here. We're talking about spiritual cleats that allow us to dig in when the enemy's advancing against us and also allows us to dig in to be ready so that when God opens the door for a conversation about Jesus, we don't turn tail and run the other direction. We actually press in and hold our ground, okay? Fourthly, we talked about the shield of faith. And we have that, this just means we actively believe the promises of God and that we use faith, our faith in God, to extinguish the arrows that the enemy just loves to fire at us, arrows of doubt and temptation and spiritual blindness and confusion and accusation. And finally, last week, we talked about a helmet of salvation. We protect our minds with the knowledge that we've been saved by Jesus from our sin and that we no longer need to be victims of the enemy because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Okay, we've covered the first five pieces. I want you to notice this. First five pieces of the armor are defensive, okay? They're defensive. God's given us five pieces specifically to protect us because he doesn't want us out there standing in the face of evil, completely vulnerable and exposed, right? That's how much he loves us. So he gave us the armor so we would wear it for our own protection. I mean, just think about all of the things that you do on a daily basis to ensure your physical protection, right? Seatbelts, steel-toed boots, safety harnesses, safety goggles, oven mitts, ear protection, bike helmets, clothing, sunglasses, lip balm, sunscreen, airbags, handrails. I mean, the truth is we go to great lengths 
to try and protect ourselves physically. Here's my question for you. What do you do strategically to protect yourself spiritually? Or do you just assume, you know, it's all going to get taken care of? Okay? First five pieces of the armor are defensive. And some of you react to that word like it's bad. You react to the word defensive the same way you think when, when I say the word defensive driving. You're like, not on my road. Not with my rig. I don't defensively do anything. I'm an offensive driver. That's the way it is. And that's why the rest of us are scared of you. Okay? All right? So when you think defensive, don't think negative. In fact, I will put it this way. Defensive is not bad. It's wise. It's wise. I have a 16-year-old daughter. Just got her first car. Defensive is not dumb. It's wise. Also warning all of you in Linden. Be careful, okay? All right? First five pieces are defensive. Final two pieces of the armor are offensive. Not offensive like it's going to offend you, but offensive is that they're supposed to be used for, for moving into the battle, okay? Some of you are like, finally, now we get down to the real stuff, okay? This is what I've been waiting for. Opportunity to pick something up, swing it, and hurt somebody, or shoot something, all right? Okay, so the Bible says this. Here it comes. Bible says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's piece number six, okay? It's the sword of the Spirit. Those of you who are aggressive, you're like, yes, finally. A sword, a lightsaber, that's what I've been waiting for, all right? Something to draw some blood, okay? I've got a sword and now I'm going to go out and do some damage. Well, before you grab a hold of this particular sword, all right, I want you to just be careful because I want you to know just how dangerous this particular piece of armor is can actually be if it's not used right. Hebrews chapter 4 says this. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Your Bible can be unbelievably sharp, but let's just say something before we dive into this. The Bible's been used as a weapon by spiritually immature people for a really, 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 really long time. That's why some people have a very dim view of Christians. Because people love to take a verse out of context, and they actually use it to espouse hatred and division and disunity. Sometimes they just use it to justify their own ideology. I mean, don't get me wrong, the Bible cuts. Here's what I want us to know. The Bible cuts all by itself. It doesn't need your help. Let me tell you how the Bible cuts all by itself. So, I mean, I I have made no bones about the fact that as a young man growing up, I struggled with lying desperately. Just about cost me everything. A couple of Easter's ago, I held up a great big sign that said liar. I don't know what it did to espouse confidence in the church and their pastor, but I held up the sign because that's my reality. I remember how the Bible cut me to the core when I was reading in the book of Proverbs, and the Bible said this, the Lord abhors lying lips doesn't say he mildly dislikes it. doesn't say it puts him in a bad mood. It says he absolutely detests it with everything in the base of his soul. He hates it. Well, that cut me to the core because the reality is I was a liar. Cut deep. The Bible also builds as well as cuts. Because you see, the same Bible says that the Lord actually dances with joy over those who choose to tell the truth. So I had a decision to make every day. I could make God angry and live with that pain, or I could make God dance. 
by simply being obedient. Okay, here's the deal. We need to leave the cutting part of what Scripture does to the power of that sword. Now, we have to wield the sword, but we have to be unbelievably careful with it. You know, my prayer is that, is that we would believe that the Bible says, that when the Bible says it's living and active and sharp, that we realize it can cut you to the bone, but nowhere does it say it needs our help in doing that. So when we wield the sword, we need to do it with care and compassion. I mean, if people just do this so lightly, right? You know, somebody's in pain and we just lob a verse right into the center of it. We don't think about it. We don't give it due diligence. Okay, they, they even tag it. We, we, sometimes we even tag it with these words. Hey, God told me to tell you this. Okay, now let me just stop here for a second. Okay, we're not talking about a word of knowledge and I'm going to differentiate that in a second. Okay, a word of knowledge is when God gives something to you for somebody else. It's not what we're talking about here, but let me just talk about that for a second. Okay, I just want to say this to you. If you ever get a word of knowledge about somebody else, this is the language I want you to use in order to protect you and them. Use these words. Look, I believe God told me to tell you something, but I just want to submit it to you for your consideration. What you do with it is completely between you and God. I am not assuming the role of God. I felt like I was supposed to do this, so here I'm supposed to do it. I know it's supposed to be to build you up. Because here's what I found. 99% of people that show up on my doorstep and say, God told me to tell you something, pastor. It's always bad. It's just bad. You know, God's warning you. You're going the wrong way. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. Ah, it, I'm like, it does not sound like Jesus to me. And some, when somebody comes to me and says that kind of stuff, my question is always this. If this is such a big deal, why didn't God invite me into the conversation too? Why do you send you? I mean, if this is that big of a deal, don't you think he would care enough to go, excuse me, Grant, woohoo, get a clue. Okay, now the Bible does talk about these words of knowledge, and I want to encourage you. If God tells you to do that, boy, you need to be obedient. But at the same time, be unbelievably gentle with that. Here's an interesting thing. When God would give a word to a prophet in the Old Testament for the entire nation, they had this really cool rule in the Old Testament, and the rule was this. If you got that word wrong, they killed you. I think we should keep that rule, all right? Because then I think it would just be, not a lot of us would be walking around going, thus saith the Lord in somebody else's life, right? One strike, boop, you're out. Okay, all right? It's interesting here, though. I want to make sure we get this. Paul says to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And in this case, he's not talking about your whole Bible. Because the Bible hadn't even been assembled yet, okay? I want you to notice something. Normally, when Paul's talking about the Bible, he uses a Greek word, logos. That means that's the word for the whole Bible, okay? But in this particular verse, he doesn't use the word logos. He uses another little Greek word. The word is rhema, R-H-E-M-A, okay? And here's the difference, okay? If the whole Bible is a logos, John 3.16 is a rhema, okay? Rhema literally means a saying, Okay, do you get the difference? Big package, little tiny package. So it means Paul is saying this, take up the sword of the spirit, which means that God's going to give you a specific word, a specific saying at a specific time, in a specific moment, in a specific circumstance in order to allow you to go on the offensive. Let me give you a picture of it. When I was an Awana kid years ago, I had a leader by the name of Bob Hildebrand. Bob was a dairy farmer, just a regular ordinary Manitoba dairy farmer, and he used to run the group that I was a part of in Awana. 
And I was struggling to learn 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. I had to learn it in the King James Version of the Bible because that's the Bible we used in the church that I grew up in. And I'm trying to learn this verse, right? Couldn't learn it. I have a hard time with memorizing. Short-term memory is just not really, it's not a strong point for me. I have to work really, really hard at it. But I'm trying to learn this verse. And the verse says this, what? It's a question, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore honor God, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, I just got stuck in the ye's, okay? When you're a middle school boy, it didn't make sense to me. So Bob turned this memorization thing into a game. He'd stick his head in the door and he'd go, what? And I'd go, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and you are not your own. You're bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. And he'd go, almost, and then he'd leave. And then he'd jump back in again, he'd go, What? No, you're not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is you. And I just began to learn this verse over and over again. And this was the part that got me. You're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. I knew that word. I knew that saying, and it followed me. A couple years later, I got my first girlfriend. And I liked her because she was a girl, you know? (laughs) And because she was a girl and I was a guy, I was just like, I want to interact with that girl, okay? And I remember the very, very first time that I touched her and Bob Hildebrand and the Holy Spirit completely messed up my game because they both showed up and said, what? Don't you know that your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost and that you don't belong to yourself? In fact, you were bought with a price, therefore you need to honor God with your body. Okay. I face the same temptations that everybody else faces. We get on computers that welcome stuff into our homes that, that, that we never used to have to go looking for before, but boy, it comes looking for us now. And every day, everybody faces the same temptation. Man, you can just click your way into a chat room, click your way into pornography, click your way into this, into that. I mean, just all of this stuff that's wrapped up. And as a young man, I remember sitting in front of my first computer thinking, I know there's stuff on here. And Bob Hildebrand sticks his little face up from behind my monitor and goes, what? God says, don't you know? That you don't belong to yourself. You were bought with a price. The blood of my son, Jesus Christ. You need to honor God with your body. And your body includes your brain and your eyes. A couple years later, I get engaged to this beautiful girl. Been married to her for 24 years. This beautiful human being. And we know we're getting married and, and, and we're done college, and I, I moved into an apartment, and she's living a couple of blocks away with her brother, and she'd come over and hang out on Friday nights. And every Friday night was just kind of like this, this war because we had all of these justifications in our mind. We're getting married. I mean, we're going to get married anyway. What, you know, why wait a couple of months? And every time we'd come and bump up against that line, a dairy farmer from Manitoba and the Holy Spirit would show up in the room, drive me crazy. Say, What? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? You don't belong to yourself, man. You were bought with a price. Therefore, you need to honor God with your body. It was a rhema word. It came at exactly the right time, exactly the right place. And I always knew it was God because it came straight out of Scripture. Do we understand what Paul's talking about here? I mean, it's kind of an impetus to want to know what the Bible actually says, right? You know, this past week, 
Just the past week, I was talking to a young guy who I love deeply. He and I have, have the same blessing and the same curse. We both have big mouths. Used for the right thing, it can be unbelievably good and powerful. Used for the wrong thing, it can cause unbelievable devastation. And we're just sitting there talking. And as I'm sitting there talking, God just drops a verse right into the top of my brain. You can go find out where it is in the book of Proverbs. This is what I said to him. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Solomon wrote that. And I knew that it was applicable because it's straight out of God's word. Can I tell you something? A rhema word from God is the safest word you could ever offer to yourself or anybody else. Because if it comes from God, it's pure. Okay? And God will actually give you discernment to know whether or not it actually applies or doesn't apply. This past week, again, I struggle sometimes with keeping quiet when I'm passionate about something. I mean, sometimes I like to kind of just fill in the air, but the reality is this. I've been reading Proverbs. Proverbs 18 says this. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. And I would walk into meetings and I'd sit down and have so much to say, you know? Already had a mocha quad, you know? I'm just like, I got a lot of words right now. I'm ready. This is going to be good. Everybody just stand back because here comes the verbal barrage. And this verse is just saying, But if you'd listen before you talked, you'd never be embarrassed or ashamed because maybe you don't really actually have anything to contribute to the conversation. Tuesday, two meetings in a row. I had a lot to say, and I just sat there because I could hear these verses. And you know what was amazing? People brought problems to be solved, and they ended up completely solving them on their own. And it's one of those weird deals where they solve their own problem, talk themselves in a great big circle, and that they leave and they say, thank you so much. (laughs) I just nodded my head, okay? That's a rhema word in that moment. Twice last week got it right. Tuesday night got it wrong. Started talking before I listened. Wounded the three people in this world that I love more than anybody because my words just got rolling and I couldn't get them stopped. When God gives you a rhema word, it's one of those beautiful, beautiful gifts. When you ignore it, it just goes wrong. Take it from somebody who's still apologizing and asking for forgiveness. In the middle of the battle, God will give you a word that's going to cut deep. But my prayer is that as the people of Christ the King, we would allow it to cut deep with wisdom. Deep with protection, deep with understanding, and that we will always wield that sword with care and compassion. Okay, God concludes another offensive weapon as Paul continues. Verse 19, 18, he says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Here's the final part of the armor. It's prayer. I mean, I just want you to think about your prayer life for a second. Okay, don't get all weirded out and put your shame button right away. But I mean, for some of us, it's kind of, how would you feel if you had a friend who'd show up on your doorstep at 6.30 every morning? Bang, 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 bang. And you open the door and you're like, you know, hey, Raul, how's it going? Hey, look, here's the deal. I need a new car. I need a job. I need a raise. I got to get this stuff done. Some sunshine would be nice. Awesome. Thank you. Slapped you a high five and left. At 11 o'clock at night, he'd show up again on your doorstep. Bang, 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 bang. Hey, thanks. It was a good day. Good night. And they left. How would you feel towards that person after about four or five days? But isn't that kind of the way it rolls with a lot of us? 
We show up on God's doorstep in the morning. Lord, here's my list. If you love me, you'll take care of this. I'm off with the rest of my day. See ya. And 11 o'clock at night, we show back up on the doorstep again. Hey, a little disappointed. Didn't really come through, but thanks for the food, by the way. See you tomorrow. We leave. You know, I, I, I know that's difficult for us to hear, but unfortunately, that's been my experience in my own life for a really, 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 really long time. Until I ran into this little, this little rhema piece here that says we're actually supposed to have this conversation with God. It's supposed to be ongoing and never really, really stop. And I began to learn that, that prayer wasn't an isolated event. It was actually an attitude of the heart that you could engage in continuously throughout the day. And I don't know about you, but I need Jesus all day long. Not just in morning and at night after Sports Center. So here's my paraphrase of that verse. Have an honest conversation, which means listening and talking to God all the time about everything that goes beyond your list and includes praising God for who He is, confessing when you get it wrong, and thanking Him for all of His blessing. I mean, I know this is not rocket science, but a conversation involves talking and listening. Some of you verbal people are like, what's listening? <laughs> That's the part where you don't talk. Okay, and here's a clue. God gave you two ears and one mouth on purpose. Do the math, verbal people, okay? I include myself with you, all right? So God says, have an honest conversation. Hey, God, this is how I feel today. I'm struggling. I don't understand why this is happening. God, or maybe, maybe it's the exact opposite. God, I'm so encouraged. God, I'm so unbelievably, I'm so unbelievably amazed at how you look after me. Or maybe it's God, I'm scared. I mean, it's just an honest conversation that involves speaking and listening and includes praise. Praise. Did anybody see the moon last night? Oh my! How great is our God to cr- That was huge! I'm sitting inside my house looking out the window going, my God did that. He did that. It's praise over all things. Remember a couple years ago, I went to Africa and I'm standing out in the middle of the Serengeti. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm in Masai Mara in Africa and we're feeding children and I hand this plate. Some of you will remember this story. I handed this plate to this teeny little girl knowing it was the only food she was going to have all day. And she led all of the students there that day in a prayer. I will never forget what she said. God, I appreciate you for this food. You could have given it to anyone, but you gave it to me. So I will not waste it. I will appreciate it. I asked you again for my daily bread, and you came through for me again. When was the last time I prayed that way for lunch? Praise God for who He is. Thank Him. Confess. Tell Him where you got it wrong. I mean, some of us go, well, I don't want to say when He got it wrong. You know, I don't want to disappoint God. You can't surprise Him, people. He was there when it happened. He was trying to speak something into your brain, and you're like, don't need it. Thank you very much. Going to go with my own understanding. Oops, I dropped my belt, right? That's how it works. Confess, and then finally thank him. My daughter McKenna found this amazing little thought this past week about Thanksgiving, okay? I listed it under a couple of thoughts in your outline, but here's one of the thoughts. What if you woke up today with only the things you thanked God for yesterday? Let that sit in your brain for a second because you've got to think about it, okay? What if you woke up today with 
only the things you thanked God for yesterday. Let's be honest. That would leave most of us naked outside and we might have lunch and that's it, right? Let's be straight, okay? Gratitude's a huge part of prayer. And here's one more thought. The armor of God is put on and kept on through prayer. I got this great question last week. They said, Grant, if the armor is so amazing, why would you ever take it off? That's a good question. You know, but the reality is, we do take it off, don't we? An arrow of doubt just comes zinging by our shoulder. All of a sudden, we get scared, and we drop the shield of faith, and we start turning and running the opposite direction. My friends, I, w- I want you to think about something. One of our prayer intercessors in the prayer time last night, she said, God, God, thanks for not putting any of the armor on our backside. You know what that means? It means you were never created to run. And when you run, you're exposed. Just think about it. But sometimes I get scared and I just kind of lay down the shield of faith. Sometimes I'm just plain lazy. I stop caring. I get into a really big fight with Laurel and pretty soon that breastplate of righteousness, that's been peeled off and chucked in the corner. Well, it's like we're on now. And the words are flying. And God's crying. It's just because we just, we just took a piece off for a couple of minutes, and that never goes well for any of us. You know, we walk into a restaurant, and God strategically puts somebody beside us. Or, Like yesterday, I get on a plane, and, and, I'm, and I'm, sit, I'm coming home, and I'm, I'm sitting beside this guy, and, and God just opens this door wide open. I got an opportunity to share about Jesus. I actually invited him to come to church. Lauren, if you're here, welcome, Okay. But in that moment, could have made another decision, right? Just, God, just, just leave me alone. I just want to be left alone. And the second we do that, we're, we're taking off the sandals and leaving them at the front door. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I just choose Sports Center over the sword. And I find when I do that, I tend to leave my sword sitting by my bedside. And about halfway through the day, it's like, God, why is this day going so wrong? Oh, I left something behind. Sometimes I just forget about what it took for Jesus to save me, and my mind kind of wanders to these, to these dark places and embraces these doubts and these accusations, and I get wrapped up in my own truth, and my own truth says the world owes me something and I should be entitled to something. and can't figure out why it's so difficult to, to scramble up this ladder of success and then... I just realized that I dropped my belt way, way, way back. It'd be nice if the armor just stayed on, but doesn't. I wish it had adhesive backs so it would just stick, but it doesn't. So let me answer the question one more time. How do I put it on? Like practically, Grant, how do I put it on? You put it on out loud so God can hear you. God, right now, I'm putting on the belt of truth because it's the only thing that's going to hold me together all day long. God, right this second, I'm putting on the breastplate of right living, which means I'm going to resist the devil with everything that I've got. And the second I hear a slimy little voice, I'm going to do the opposite of what that voice says. And I'm going to follow the still small whisper of Jesus. And I will be obedient even if it costs me everything. Here it goes, right here. God, I got my sandals on. I'm ready to lock in or run forward. One of those two. Those are my only options. I'm not going back. I have decided 
to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. God, I'm ready to pick up the sword. I'm going to know it well. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to drop it in the center of my heart because I know there's going to come a moment when I'm going to need it really, really bad. And I may not have access to a leather-bound cover, so I'm going to depend on the fact that you're going to give me a download in that second. But I want to know it so that I know it when I see it and when I hear it. And now, God, I'm going to get on my knees so I can fight like a man and be victorious. I'll leave you with this. Um, I, I do a little prayer thing. Pastor Melanie does a prayer letter every week, and she asks me for prayer requests. Um, if you ever want to know what to pray for me, my prayer request would be the same as Pastor Paul at the end of Ephesians chapter 6. He says this, Pray also for me whenever I speak. Words may be given me so that I'll fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly. Like I should. I like when we do series because often people contribute things to the series. And, um, I reserve the right. If you ever email me, if it's a personal story, I'll ask permission. But if you just send me something because you think it's inspiring, I reserve the right to use it every opportunity I get. Well, I came home yesterday afternoon. I've been speaking at a conference down in California for a couple of days. And I came back and, and this was sitting inside of my mailbox. I don't know who it came from, but if you put it in my box, thank you very much. I've seen it before. I've read it to you before as a church. But as we come to the end of a little series and get ready to turn another corner into what pure religion is, which is to take care of widows and orphans in their distress, before we turn the corner, I would love to, to, to just give this to you as a gift. It's called a warrior's prayer, and it talks about what we're going to do with our armor someday. When it's all said and done and I'm standing before God, I want to be there bloodied and exhausted and worn from the fight. I want to place at Christ's feet a notched but still razor-sharp sword, a battered shield with the emblem faded and dull, a breastplate with deep scratch marks where the enemy's darts marred it when my shield of faith dropped a little too low. I'll lay down a helmet of salvation marked by the turning of a blow from the mace of doubt. Boots of the gospel resold many times. And lastly, a belt of truth that's as strong as it was on the day that I received it. And I'll lay it all down and turn it in for a shining crown of gold and robes of white, and a brand new name that I share only with the King. My prayer is you'll wear your armor now. Because one day you'll get to exchange, and what you will receive is most definitely a victorious upgrade. Amen? Let's pray together today. Father God, I thank you for this morning and my friends who are here. 
Thank you for this word from Ephesians chapter 6. God, we know what the armor is now, so we just can't pretend we don't. So Lord, for those who are struggling, I pray that the shield of faith would come up. For those who desperately needed a touch from you, God, I pray a rhema word would drop into their mind, heart, and soul right this moment. God, I pray for those who, who are struggling with, with, with walking the walk and talking the talk. God, I pray that the sandals would be bound tightly to their feet. Father, I pray in a world of relativism where everything moves and shifts, that the belt of truth would be firmly in place. So Lord Jesus, we thank you today for the armor. Thank you for what it means. May we wear it well this week. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.